next week we are going to begin our study in the book of Genesis, and uh, that's what I was thinking. So great stories, lots of practical application, but since we, we've just finished our study in the book of Revelation, you know, we have this, this short gap in between the two books, and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to take the opportunity and talk about Bible prophecy as it relates to right now what's going on in the world. So um, you want to file this again under just the stuff you just got to know. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. How many of you watched over the last couple of weeks in the Middle East, Israel, going at it and uh, going back and forth? So very interesting. And literally, as soon as the peace uh, treaty or the ceasefire was announced in New York City, did you see the riots that broke out? between uh, those who are Islamic and the Jewish people. So, I mean, not even 10 minutes later, it's like, it just erupts. And so if you haven't seen that, it's, it's all over the web, and, and you can certainly check that out. Now, I think this is so important today, and when we get into Genesis, you know, we spent the last year talking about Bible prophecy, and so we're not going to be able to talk about that so much. We will a little bit, but uh, not so much. But what we're going to talk about is so important because most of us come from a church background, and we live in a church culture where much of the Bible has been reduced to financial principles, relationship principles. But what we forget is that one-third, about one-third of the Bible is actually prophecy, where God says, this is just what is going to happen. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. It's also interesting to me there in your outline, but uh, when Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, he's speaking with the religious leaders, and the strongest rebuke that he gives to the religious leaders, I put it there on your outline, those who, they looked at everything but, but Bible prophecy, and Jesus said to them, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And you might want to underline that, the signs of the times. You see, it was all written down, uh, but they never looked at it. And because they never looked at it, they never considered it. They didn't teach their people. And so when Jesus appears just the way the Bible said he was going to, because they never looked at it, most people completely missed it. So he held them responsible. So Understanding Bible prophecy, understanding uh, the times that we live in is important because if we don't, as we look around the world, we can become very panicked. And one of the things that I love to say, so humor me with this, but, but uh, there on your outline, you want to write this down, that Bible prophecy helps us understand that things aren't falling apart but they're falling into place. They're falling into place. As the Bible speaks about this. This is just what's going to happen. And uh, you and I protesting and, and getting all upset that these things are happening isn't actually going to, to change it. Now, we're not going to be pessimistic, but uh, it's important to understand that the Bible says some things are just going to happen. So uh, are you ready? Was that you, Bobby Knight? All right, well, Matthew 24, Matthew 24, as we see our world uh, unfolding, this is always a fascinating reminder for me. We're going to talk about some things we haven't talked about. At least we're going to have some details that we haven't really gone deep into. It's about a week before, a few days actually, before Jesus goes to the cross. He's in Jerusalem. And in Matthew 24, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1 and read the first two verses. It says, Jesus came out from the temple, tells us where he is, and was going away when his disciples came up to 
point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And so he says this to the disciples. They're a little shocked by this. Now, you and I know from world history that that took place in 70 AD. Uh, The Roman army comes in. They destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. Every stone is taken apart, and Israel ceases to exist as a nation. So they're bothered by this because this was not what they thought he was going to say. So what they do is they wait till he is alone and they come to him privately, and we'll talk about that, and they ask him three questions. I like to call these the three questions. <laughs> and and, and what, I, what I want you to do in this is as we go through these three questions, you want to write one, two, and three, because Jesus will take the next, uh, the rest of chapter 24 and 25 to answer three questions. So we're going to pick it up in verse three. It says, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, this is later on, the disciples came to him privately. Now I've underlined the word privately. Now this is important because this is going to be a private briefing given to disciples. This is not something that he will share on the Sermon on the Mount with the crowds. This is a private briefing to disciples. So if you're a disciple here today, this is for you. So as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, number one, when will these things happen? And then number two, what will be the sign of your coming? They want to know the sign of his coming. And then number three, the end of the age, or end the, of the end of the age. So some of your Bibles might say it a little bit differently, but you can still see those three elements are there. They're asking three questions. So when will these things happen? He's just told them that the temple is going to be destroyed. And then what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And they had rightfully paired his coming with the end of the age. So Jesus will now take chapters 24 and 25 to answer those three questions. When will these things happen? What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, before we get into uh, verse 4, Jesus is going, as he begins to answer their questions, what we're going to notice is that when they say, what is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus will not say, why, why worry about that? I mean, there's so many other things that you could focus in on. I mean, that's not really important. I mean, it, it all pans out in the end. We, we win in the end. So, so, so why think about that? That's not what he says. Notice what he says in verse 4. In verse 4, Jesus says, Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. See to it that no one misleads you. Now, I like uh, the translation that many of you have there on your outline. Most translations will say it like this. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. How many of your Bibles use the word deceives? I like that word much more. Now, now here's why. When you go through end times prophecies, all end times prophecies have the theme of deceit, deception, as though that's going to be a real problem in in the last days just before Jesus comes back. But Jesus, notice he says, see to it, see to it, or make sure that no one misleads you. The idea is, I'm going to tell you, 
But when I tell you, uh, now you're responsible for it, and you want to make sure that you're not deceived or misled as to how this all takes place. And I, I would suggest that we live in a church culture because we, we rarely look at it that, that many in the church are deceived or misled as to how these things are going to take place. So Jesus begins, first of all, by giving an overview. And that overview is going to go from verse 5 all the way to verse 31. We're just going to look at a couple of verses as we get uh, of the overview before we get into the sign. It says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Many of your Bibles will say will deceive many. And you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened. However your Bible says it, you want to underline that. For those things must take place. And I've underlined that must take place, but that is not yet the end. That is not yet the end. So uh, a couple of things. As so far in our little story, what we found is that there's two things that Jesus has said. First of all, we are not to be deceived or misled by these things. And then the second thing that we find that he says is we're not to be frightened by these things. Would you agree that, that many in the world are frightened by what they see happening in the world? Well, we're not to be frightened. What we're going to find is that those who are the most deceived about these things are the ones who are going to be the most frightened about these things. But when you know this, you won't be frightened. And Jesus says, we're going to talk about some things that must take place. They're going to happen. So here's how they're going to take place. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8, and it says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, my Bible says birth pangs. However your Bible says it, you want to make sure that you underline that. So uh, a few things. First of all, I've put there on your outline, as I read it, my translation leaves out a word, and it's a very important word. So I put that there on your outline, verse 7, and it says for nation, and you see the word for, for nation there is the word ethnos in the original language. A nation or ethnos will rise against nation or ethnos and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be, you want to underline famines and what's that word? pestilences and earthquakes. And that word there, seismos, in diverse places. And then verse 8, back to our Bibles, he says, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Jesus uses, and Paul also will use the term birth pains. Now, this is important because um, when a, a woman goes into labor, those contractions, once labor begins, those contractions become closer and closer together and more and more intense. Is that pretty much how it, how it happens? So, so the closer and closer together and more and more intense. So you have this very long pregnancy, a growing discomfort, but at a certain point, labor begins and the, the, the contractions closer and closer together and more and more intense. So let's say in our country, we had the Civil War in the 1860s, and that was bad. But that was nothing compared to World War I, which was really bad. But that was nothing compared to World War II. Those would be considered contractions or birth pangs, and they get worse and worse and closer and closer together. There in that, that verse, it says, for nations shall rise against nation. And the word there is ethnos, ethnos. Now, that's important. You wonder, why do they use nations? Well, if, if you were translating this into English 500 years ago, 
all Italians lived in Italy and all French people lived in France. But the world has become much more of a melting pot. And so when it says ethnos will be rise against ethnos, the idea is that people groups will rise against people groups. Very sad that that takes place. But have we noticed that even in our, in our own world, even in our own world over the last couple of years? Just about the time that we think that we have it worked out, it's going to erupt again. But because it's like a birth pain, it doesn't go away. It just becomes more and more intense. And so that's a very sad thing, but, but we're going to see that. Then it says famines, and then it says pestilences. Uh, would you agree that we've been through a pestilence this past year? Never in the history of, of our world have we been through something that is like what we've been through this past year. Well, does it go away and everything goes back to normal? I like what's going around the internet right now is that normal's not coming back, but Jesus is. And, and, and so you have to know it says like birth pains. So this has been the first time the whole world, the whole world has been. Well, and then it says earthquakes. Well, earthquakes, seismos, there, there is, you know, category seven, not category seven, magnitude seven earthquakes are happening very commonly now. It's, and the, those were things that, that never really happened all that often, but, but they're happening. And so when you see these, these things, so for instance, I always like to say, when it talks about earthquakes, um, in 2004, for those of us who remember there was a tsunami which was triggered by an earthquake and it hit Indonesia and 300,000 people died. Well, as a, as a kid growing up, when we heard about tsunamis, that was always on the other side of the world, and it was always like thousands of years ago, you know, but, but it's not like something that happened in the modern world, but it did. But then you go, well, it only happened one time. Well, then it was 2011, and we saw in Japan another tsunami takes place. So that word seismos means earthquakes, but it can also be likened to natural disasters. So very interesting to me as these things are happening more and more intensely and closer and closer together. Uh, if you're uh, tracking in weather, what we're finding is that future hurricane seasons might start two weeks early. Uh, it says next year's Atlantic hurricane season could begin on May 15th. And the reason being is over the last six years, they've had storms that have formed before hurricane season begins. So they're saying we have to now adjust hurricane season because it's happening more and more. Do you know that there is hurricane or right now tropical storm Anna out in the Atlantic? And it's not June 1st. And, and so they're happening sooner and, and uh, we're going to find that those things are going to become more and more intense. So here's what I want you to do today. When you go home, I want you to just get on your computer and type in natural disasters 2021. And what you're going to see, it's just a steady stream of these things taking place around the world. So these things are, are not the sign of the end, but they're the birth pains. And these birth pains are going to continue to become closer and closer together, and they're going to become more and more intense. So when, when I say that, um, because it's, it's likened to contractions when a woman goes in labor, when a, a woman goes through a very 
significant contraction as things become closer and closer and more and more intense. It's not like in the middle of that contraction does she say, I can't wait for this contraction to end because uh, when that's end, things are going to go back to normal. I'm going to go down to the cafe at the hospital, get myself a latte. I'm going to go on a picnic. Uh, You kind of know that when this contraction happens, something's going to happen again very quickly. And that's what I want you to be aware of, is that there's going to be more to come. This is not probably one of those positive messages that that you were looking for today. But it's important to say that this is not God's way of inflicting this upon you. That's not what he's doing. It's sort of like during hurricane season when the hurricane center comes on and they go, hey, there's a hurricane coming your way. That's a warning so you can be prepared for what's coming. They're not inflicting it on you. So God is giving to those who are reading his word a warning so you can be prepared. Now, you and I live in Florida. We have hurricane season. It's just smart to prepare. In our family, we, we always try to have enough food uh, and enough supplies so that in the event that we can't leave the house, there's a hurricane or something like that, we can go for a certain period of time. And so you want to do that. That's just wisdom. That's not crazy prepping. That's just wisdom. That makes sense? All right. For the two of you who said yes, we're going to move on. So, so those things are not the sign, but they're going to increase. So I want to go to the sign. So Jesus is going to continue giving the overview. I want you to read that. And, um, and we covered that in our Matthew teaching. We took eight weeks to go through Matthew 24 and 25 as he answers those three questions. Now, before we get into the sign, I want to take a little bitty detour, very important for today. There is this theme, this teaching throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and I want you to write this down, that in the last days, Israel becomes a nation again. Israel becomes a nation again. Now, Israel ceased to exist as a nation in 70 AD, and uh, they did not become a nation again until 1948. And in 1948, Israel is the only nation on the planet in the history of the world that existed as a nation and then was not a nation, and then almost 2,000 years later becomes a nation again. And so, When Israel becomes a nation again, the Bible teaches time and time again that that will begin what we might call the last days or the last of the last, last days or the last generation. And we're going to look at that today. So for instance, I put there in your outline, Ezekiel 36 through 39. You should read that. We've talked about that many times here. But Ezekiel 36 and 37, those two chapters are all about Israel coming into the land again in the last days. And, uh, of course, we saw that in 1948 when Israel became a nation. Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk about what happens after Israel comes back into the land. So you have in Ezekiel 38, and I could pull many verses because it's a theme of the Bible. I'm just going to pull a couple of verses, but Ezekiel 38, 8, God is speaking. He says, after many days you will be visited. In the latter years, some Bibles translate that as last years, uh, we might say last generation, you will come into the land of those who are brought back, and I've underlined that, from the sword and gathered from many people and, and uh, on the mountains of Israel. They're going to come back from many places around the world back to the mountains of Israel. 
which had long been desolate, almost 2,000 years, and they were brought out, underline that, of the nations, of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. So the Bible teaches in those last years, in the latter years, the last generation, we'll see that God will bring his people from the nations back into Israel, and that they'll become a nation again. Now, a few verses later, God says this. He says, and you'll come up against my people Israel. Now, you want to underline my people Israel like a cloud. This is a, a future war that's going to take place. You'll come against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it shall come about in the last days. You want to underline last days that I will bring you against my land, my land. Now, that's important because it tells us in the last days, uh, God calls the nation of Israel my people. There is a teaching among some churches, they call it replacement theology, that says that God is done with the Jewish people. He is not. God says in the last days, my people, Israel, um, and they will be back in what he calls his land. It's his land. So far, so good. Now, why is that so important? When Israel ceased to exist as a nation, the world renamed Israel after uh, they renamed the world Palestine. And uh, earlier on, if you look at the old maps, they would call it Philistia. But here's what you need to know, and you want to write this down, that Palestine is the same word as Philistine, Philistine. It's the same word, it's just a different language. Palestine, Philistine, Philistine. And uh, so what happened was when Israel ceased to be a nation in 70 AD, the world renamed Israel after its ancient enemies, the Philistines. Uh, now they go by the name the Palestinians, we would say. So, but God says it's my land. So when you look on the news, the world, when it refers to Israel, they call it the occupied territory. How many of you have ever heard the occupied territory? Well, from the world's perspective, it's the occupied territory because they believe that it belongs to the Palestinians. Uh, however, the Bible says, no, it's my land, it's Israel, and God will never refer to that area as Palestine. He only calls it Israel, only calls it Israel. So that's important. Now, so far so good? How many of you have never heard that Palestine and Philistine are the same word? Good, 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 good. All right, so you learned something today. So now God said, when I bring Israel back into its homeland, and that happened in 1948, uh, he said, I'm going to do something. Now, in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah is this fascinating little book in the Old Testament, but it's all about end times prophecy. And he says, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, and they shall be in siege both against Judah, which is the sort of the southern part of Israel, and against Jerusalem, which is where in Judah. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burden stone for all the people. Now, until 1948, Jerusalem was insignificant. Nobody really cared. Nobody really cared. But now the whole world is focused in on what do we do with Jerusalem. It's on the news every day. Now, this is always so fascinating to me, and I know you've seen this many times. That doesn't stop me. But I want to put, 
If you were to take the whole nation of Israel and put it in the state of Florida, it literally would take up the size of Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County. And yet the whole world is focused in, and it has become literally a burdensome stone for all people. Everybody's trying to figure out. So this last couple of weeks, you had the, the United Nations trying to figure out. You had the United States trying to figure it out. You had Russia trying to figure out. Ultimately, the ceasefire was brokered by Egypt. We'll see if it stands. But the whole world, I mean, you go, who would really care about a little piece of property that small? Well, God said, in the last days, I'm going to turn it, make it a burdensome stone for all the people. Do you find that interesting? So, so back to our story, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, what is the sign of your coming? And Jesus says, I'll give you the non-signs. You know, these are going to happen like birth pains, ethnos and nations and pestilences and all that. But now let me answer your question as to what the sign is and what's the sign of his coming and of the end of the age. So the sign begins in verse 32. And I put verse 32. You can either read it in your Bible or there in your outline. Jesus says, now this is where the sign begins. He says, now, he's given the overview, and you can read that later. He says, now, learn the parable from the fig tree. And I put there Hosea 9.10. That's important because in the Bible, anytime you see the word fig tree, if it's a symbol, it always refers to the nation of Israel. In the Bible, you have what's, what we would call expositional constancy. So if I say a dove, that's always a picture of the Holy Spirit. But I've, if I say the dragon, that's always a picture of Satan. So anytime you see the fig tree, it's always a picture of, of Israel. And I put Hosea 9.10 there. You can look it up later. And he just says, my fig tree, Israel, is what God calls it. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. And these are all Jewish guys, so they get that. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he, speaking of Jesus, of himself, is near. How near? Right at the door. And I've underlined that. So in the Bible, when Jesus, or when the Bible talks about the fig tree as a symbol, it's always a reference to the nation of Israel. And in verse 32 there, he says, now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. In, in Israel, same as if you lived up north in, in our country, but in Israel, they have fig trees, and after those, they look very dead during the winter. And so you have this very long winter, and if you were to look at a fig tree, it looks very dead, just like the nation of Israel didn't exist for almost 2,000 years. It looked very dead. And, uh, but at a certain point in the springtime, that fig tree, like the trees up north, comes back to life. It begins to put forth its leaves. Now, it looked dead, but it, but it really wasn't. So when that fig tree begins to come back to life, you know that the next season, the next event, is summer. That it's going to be the, the very, very next thing. So... He says Israel is going to look dead for a very long period of time. But when it begins to put forth its leaves and bud, it, becomes, it comes back to life. Although it looked very dead, it wasn't. Then you know that the next event is summer. And so in verse 33, in that little 
passage there, he says, so when you see that, you know, summer's near, so you too, here's the connection, when you see all these things, recognize he is near. How near? Right at the door. Right at the door. Well, verse 34, he says, and you go back to your Bibles, he says, truly, this generation, now you want to underline the word generation, it's going to be very important, will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, it's not talking about the generation 2,000 years ago, because they didn't see those things take place. He's talking about the generation that sees that fig tree, Israel, come back to life. That generation will not pass away until all these things take place, until all these things take place. So that will be the last generation. That is the sign of his coming. Now, that generation has not passed away. My mom was eight years old when Israel became a nation. So you don't want to get focused in on as a, as a generation 40 years or 70 years. No, that generation, those who saw it, will not pass away until it all takes place. It all takes place. Now, Jesus knows how incredible that sounds to say that's the last generation. So verse 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What I'm telling you, you can take to the bank. It's actually going to happen just as I've said. Now, remember, he's answering what is the sign of his coming. Verse 36, he says, but you want to underline of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of the heaven, of, of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone, the father alone. So we've underlined three words, generation, that generation will not pass away. We know the generation, but we won't know the day or the hour. So we can know the generation. And that's why he tells us that it's not supposed to take you by surprise. He's laid it all out. So we don't set dates. We just say that generation will not pass away until. So I'm not going to tell you that it's on this particular date is the idea. Does that make sense? So now he takes the, the question or the answer to the question a little bit further. Verse 37, for the, summing, for the coming of the Son of Man, and you want to underline, will be just like, just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, underline the word flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood, underline flood, came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. And I've underlined, so will the coming of the Son of Man be be. What was their question? What's the sign of your coming? And so he's answering that question. So a couple of things that I want to talk about today. He says it's going to be like the days of Noah. They were buying, selling, giving in marriage, taking in marriage. So what you need to know is that there'll be birth pains. They'll be coming more and more intense, closer and closer together, We've seen that, you know, tsunamis and earthquakes and all of those things, ethnos versus ethnos, those things are increasing. But at the same time, they're, they're buying, they're selling, they're building. I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, we built this building. Last year, in the middle of a pandemic, I gave my daughter away 
in, in, in marriage. And uh, so life is kind of going on, and yet all these things are happening. And, you know, you and I live in the only generation where you can know that there was a tsunami in Japan and that there was a tsunami in Indonesia because a thousand years ago, there's no way we would have known. So we're able to see all of these things take place. So you, you, you want to know that on the one hand, they're buying, selling, and yet there's these, these um, birth pains taking place. That tells you that you don't need to go and build a bunker. You don't need to uh, become an, uh, a prepper in the sense that you're, you're waiting for the apocalypse because these things are going to happen, but they'll still be buying and selling when, when Jesus comes back. Does that make sense? So now, one other thing I want to say here is that how many of you have ever heard good Bible-believing Christians debate whether the flood of Noah was true or whether it was more allegory, it's a metaphor to convey, but it wasn't really a, a literal flood. And people debate this in college, and they debate this in seminary and things like this. So here at Calvary, we always take a quiz, and here's the quiz. All Christians believe that Jesus is God. Everyone else believes that Jesus is not God. Okay. Let's look at that verse again. Verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, for as in those days before the flood, um, so here's what I want you to know. Let the world debate. But Jesus, who is God, believed that the flood took place very literally. That should save you a lot of time in your research. Always go. And we'll talk about that when we go through Genesis. Do you find that interesting? All right. So um, we went through verse 39. Now, how does this generation end? Well, verse 40, it says, there will be two men in one field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. So um, that's how that generation ends. But I like the way that Luke tells the story because he adds a detail that's important for us. So you're going to want to fill this in. Jesus says, I tell you that on that night, I've underlined night, there will be two in one bed. So that takes place at night. You want to write that down. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. Now, in the Middle East, the women would get up early in the morning. They would grind the meal, the, the meal so that they could bake bread for the day. So that takes place in the morning. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field, and that takes place in the daytime or day. One will be taken and the other will be left. That generation ends with one being taken and one being left. We call that the rapture of the church. Does that make sense? So not everybody's taken. Not everybody's taken. Only the believers are taken at this point. I'm always fascinated that Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago. There would be a worldwide event that would take place at night, day, and morning when much of the world, for over 1,000 years later, 1,400 years later, they wouldn't uh, understand that the world was actually round. And, and so Jesus says it's in a worldwide event, worldwide event. Do you find that interesting? I, I always do. So um, there's going to be birth pains. They're going to be increasing, but people will still be buying and selling. Israel becomes a nation, 
and uh, the fig tree comes back to life, begins to bud. That generation doesn't pass away until everything is done. And then one will be taken, one is left, and we call that the rapture of the church. It's all laid out. Jesus is answering the three questions. So on your outline, and I'm going to go through this fairly fast, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 37, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And he never says it would be like the days of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. He just says it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Another place will say like it was in the days of Lot. And we'll talk about that when we get into, when we get into Genesis, and we'll unpack that. Genesis 6 tells us what was going on in the days of Noah. Now, typically what we would do is we'd go back and I'd walk you through Genesis 6. We will do that when we get to Genesis 6, but we don't have the time to do that today. But I did want to point out something. You don't have to turn, but I put it there on your outline. Now, you guys have seen what's happened in Israel the last couple of weeks, right? Okay, so Jesus says it's going to be just the same as it was in the days of Noah when he is revealed, when he comes back. One's taken, one is left. Comes back for us. In Genesis 6, verse 11, it says the earth was filled with violence. It was an unusual time. Violence was accelerating. I don't know. Maybe they were flying airplanes into buildings, uh, targeting civilians. Maybe they were putting uh, pressure cooker bombs at the marathon, the Boston Marathon. Maybe they were walking in the movie theaters and shooting upwards of 50 people. Maybe it was like in Las Vegas when somebody has an automatic rifle and it kills almost 60 people and wounds 500 in, in, or the, the, the club in Orlando. We've seen so many things happening. So violence would be increasing. And that's certainly something that we see in our world. But when it says violence covered the earth, one of the things that hits you is that when you look at the Hebrew word for violence right there, the Hebrew word for violence is the word Hamas. Does everybody see that? So who's Israel been going at it with the last couple of weeks? Hamas, Hamas, same word. Now, if you come from a Jewish background, you might put a little in the Hamas, but it's the same word. It's the same word. Does that make sense? Do you find that interesting? It's all happening just as the Bible says, just as the Bible says. But just like the days of Noah there in Matthew, in verse 39, it says, they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So write this down. Just like the days of Noah, there's an apathy towards the coming judgment. Much of the church world does not believe that it's actually going to take place, that that judgment is coming, and we're literally standing. He's literally standing at the door. So there on your outline, it says, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through the water. Uh, as it was in the days of Noah, most aren't going to embrace the message. It's not the message that people want to hear. Noah preached it, but not that many people listened to it. You want to make sure that you're one of those who's actually listening to the message. That makes sense? He says it will be just the same. Noah's message, when you read it, that he was called to preach, was not the message of we can turn this thing around, we can win this thing back. Noah's message was grab whoever will listen and get them on the ark. 
That was the message. Much of the church has shifted in this generation from saying we need to grab whoever we can and get them on the ark to a message of we're going to turn this thing around. These things must take place as it was in the days of Noah, but don't let that be you. That make sense? Okay, just for fun. Here's the part I want to focus and wrap up with. There in your outline, Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, I mean, we haven't seen it, it's going to happen. By reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So here's what I want to say. There's so much that we could say, but uh, write this down. In the midst of that final generation, God called Noah to an incredible journey of faith to accomplish something great in his time. And we're still talking about what God called Noah to do thousands of years later. But he had to believe the message. He had to believe the message. And he had to take action. And I believe that God wants to do so much to the life of this church and in the lives of us as individuals, but we have to believe the message. But also, as we see this world getting crazier and crazier, there on your outline, to accomplish God's purpose, God would need to provide, protect, and preserve Noah and his family. Everybody that was participating in what it was that God said was protected, preserved, and provided for. They all got on the ark. God took care of all of them. All of Noah's family were preserved. Did you find that interesting today? Good, good. We live in a very unique time. Most will not believe what we just shared today. It's too incredible. But it literally says what it says. But he says it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. And uh, you want to make sure that you are believing what God says, not what the culture is telling you to believe. Well, next week we will begin our study in the book of Genesis. I think you're going to find it to be absolutely fascinating. And with that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Bible prophecy that tells us that things aren't falling apart. They're falling into place. Help us to be good stewards of the time that you've given us, the message that you've given us, and help us to represent you well and grab as many as we can to get onto the ark. One is taken and one is left. And uh, help us to be faithful in that. Make us effective. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.